I was speaking with somebody just yesterday, actually, who's a member of a church in Hamilton, one of the churches that is to close in the current readjustment within the Church of Scotland. And he was lamenting, he's a member of Cancel Parish Church, you know, where it is just up from the center of Hamilton. And he was lamenting deeply and strongly at the state of the church and of the leaders of the church. And it basically, it was their fault. They have failed to lead the church. They have um, mismanaged things. And there was a whole catalog of disasters. And he wasn't talking particularly about his minister and the leaders of his own church. He was talking about the leaders of the denomination. Interesting enough, I'd already seen, but um, Janice shared with me this morning and gave me a copy of the magazine from Addington Old Parish Church, who, which is also facing a, a major change uh, and, and indeed there to form a union with Bothwell Parish Church. And she mentions that in our pastoral letter, the sanction of the halls will be maintained for a period, um, but there's to be only one minister and one Kirk session. And she mentions various things about that. But interesting, and I'll read part of what she says. The hardest part of this journey of change, she says, I believe it's recognizing that we all have a part to play in the church's demise. And then she mentions various things. When did people of faith like me and you stop sharing our faith with others? Someone had to share their faith with us. When was the last time you told people that you were a Christian? When did we stop inviting people to join us for Sunday worship, encouraging our own families to join us as well? Where are our young families? And not just them, but those who are younger, between the 20s and 30s, or those between the 40s and 60s. Who's supporting them in their journey of faith? How are we supposed to reach out to our community when those who are doing the work are stretched to the limits and cannot give any more? Why are people not coming to church on a Sunday morning anymore? And then the question, will our denomination even exist in 10 years? And then she goes on to speak further about that and about the challenges of that. And having read that, and I have to be honest, having read it, it does, would appear that she feels one of the main responsibilities for the problem lies with the congregation and with their failure to live up to what they're called to be. It's not for us to comment on what goes on in that kind of way in another church. That's for the people in Addington Old to look at. But nonetheless, you see the issue. Is it the leaders or is it the led that are the problem in the church today? But I would suggest this morning, as we turn, and if you like to turn in your Bibles to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, I suggest this morning that as you turn to that, you'll see that actually that's the completely wrong way to look at the issue. That actually the issue is to do with all of God's people, not just the ledge. Yes, there are references. Peter particularly speaks about shepherds of the flock doing what they're meant to do with enthusiasm and commitment and interest and a desire to serve Jesus in that. But you can also see, and we'll certainly see this morning from this letter, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, there's much emphasis on the members, not just the officials, you might say, the pastor teachers, the bishops, the priests, whatever title is given to them, or the elders. It's not just their responsibility, but the truth is that all of us, as members of the body of Jesus, have a responsibility. And I have to say that what we're going to look at here is not going to make, well, it's, not, it's going to make sense, hopefully, but not 
full sense unless we do it in the light of what we said last week. Last Sunday, we looked particularly at these opening verses in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, verses 1 to 14, and we saw the blessings that God has given to us, the blessing of the church, which we're told in verse 22 of chapter 1 is Christ's body, the one whose fullness fills everything in every way. And we looked at the blessings of being part of Christ's church. The question, whether we're a member of a congregation or not, in one sense, is neither here nor there. Whether we like it or not, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a member of his church. You're a member of his body. He has brought you into fellowship with himself. He's made you one of the holy people in Uddingston, and the reference at the beginning of chapter 1 to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. He's made you part of that holy people. He's brought you into fellowship with himself through Jesus, and so you are a member of his church. And we saw the blessings of that, and the privilege of that. But as we turn this morning, we're going to pick up, we're going to be looking at different verses, so it's important that you have your Bible in front of you. We're going to be staying in Ephesians, but it's important you have the whole letter in front of you. But we're going to read part, anyway, just to get ourselves focused in Ephesians chapter 1 and reading from verse 15. So if you'd like to follow me from that, and then we'll move on. After speaking about the blessings in Christ, in verse 15, Paul says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And just as we look at that, notice the place that the church is given. We're told in verse 22, God placed all things under Christ's feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Later on in Ephesians, Paul, talking about marriage, uses the church as an example. Ephesians 5 and verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The church, the bride of Christ. The Bible's full of pictures and metaphors of what the church, but that's good to remember as we sit here this morning. We're part of that bride. We're part of that body of believers that Christ gave himself 
far. It's interesting, there's a, there's a, is a, a dichotomy there. Yes, John tells us that God, God the Father, loved the world so much that he gave his only son. But Paul reminds us that Christ died for the church, for his people. A place of privilege, a place of honor, a place of wonder, and a place of potential. And in those verses we read earlier, we see that Paul's keen to remind, indeed he rejoices in the fact, that these people that he's writing to, these holy people, these faithful in Christ Jesus, he says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. It's always nice to know, isn't it, that you're being prayed for. We wanted to do that this morning for Graham and Karen. Elizabeth Gnoen assured her that we'd be remembering what's going on this weekend at Lendrick Muir with these young people. It's always good to know that we're being reminded, we're being remembered before God, that we're not on our own. And here's the great apostle assuring the folks in Ephesus that he's praying for them. And particularly, he notes that they have a love for all of God's people. That's just a reminder to us of what it is to be a part of that community of God's people, which is not just about here. It's not just about you. It's not just about what goes on in these four walls or about the concerns or issues that you have in your life. In fact, it's not really about that at all, dare I say, perhaps. Sometimes we need to go extreme the other way. That closeted mindset that sees faith to do with a building or just to do with me or just to do with my concerns really doesn't get much support in the New Testament. We worship the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and strength and mind, might. And what's the second commandment that Jesus said? We love our neighbor as ourselves. And so from the very beginning, the God who has a compassion and concern for not himself, but for others, calls his people to have that concern and compassion for others, for the wider church, for all of God's people. It's also good to remember that whether this church, this particular congregation survives or not, and I hope and pray it does, God will still build his church. When I push up the daisies or retire from here, God will still build his church. When you pass on to glory, unless the Lord returns, God will still build his church. We, you, me, this place, any place, doesn't have a veto on the potential and power of God to build his church. And he is building. I've already made reference to younger folk within our society. And he's certainly building it in the wider world. Why should we, who are white, Scots, or Americans, think that we've got the majority of seats, for instance, metaphorically speaking, around the table of the Lamb. That's actually racist. 
God will have his people from every tribe, every language grouping, every racial background around the table of the Lamb. And you know what? There actually might be less white people than there are other people. All of God's people of all time, from all places throughout our world, a Christian, a member of the church, should be marked with a love and prayerful concern for them. But that leads to, and is part of what it means to grow, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Paul, particularly in this letter to the church in Ephesus, was keen to see growth, keen to see the church mature, keen to see the church move on in their understanding of who God is and what it means to be part of his people. So verse 19 of chapter 2, he reminds them, verse 19 of chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, do read with me. Consequently, he says, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. There's nothing sadder, isn't there, to see something unfinished. Somebody's maybe started building an extension. I remember many years ago when I went to Greece to do with the Bible Society, and we did that tour around the sites of Ephesus. Well, this was in Turkey, Ephesus, but other places in Greece. And at that time, because of the economic situation, there was all these half-unbuilt houses in the countryside because people had started with good intention, but had never finished it. Well, you know, my friends, God will build his church, and he will bring it to completion. And we're told here that growth is at the very heart of what it is. Those immeasurable resources, indeed, it tells us in verse 20 of chapter 3, now to him is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. God will do his work. He's not going to run out of money. He's not going to run out of people. And he's not going to run out of the resources. But the money and the people are the people of God and the resources of the people of God. And the building project will be completed. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. But therefore, he says... Verse 14 of chapter 3, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In recent years, as we draw this section to a close, often people who are involved in employment will talk about lifelong learning, that we continue to learn throughout our working life 
but in truth, we continue to learn even when we're retired. One of the, the things that mark out sometimes somebody who's a very active retiree is that they're still learning. They've been different ways. They no longer have to learn things to do with their work, but they're still interested in things. They're still acquiring knowledge. They're still doing things. They're still being active in their mind and their body. That's the sign of somebody who is alive, frankly. Well, my friends, the sign of somebody who's spiritually alive is that we grow and we continue to grow in grasping how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. If we think we've come somehow, come to a kind of plateau and we know it all, then beware he who thinks he stands lest he fall. I had to remind a younger minister who was speaking at the minister's conference back in September in the UF, gently, I hope, reminded him that actually he'd been doing the job for a few years, but I have to tell you, after doing the job for 32 years, in some ways I know less now than I did 32 years ago. When I was 29, I thought of you all. When I'm 62, I think I'm only just beginning. So much more, more, more about Jesus to know. I remember hearing from friends who had visited my mum while she was lying in hospital that last week of her life and was drifting in and out of consciousness. The week just related, of course, to the birth of Gregor. But as often happens in these situations, it's visitors and others who hear things more than sometimes the family. And they had been visiting mum, people, my mum, you, my dad, you for many years. And conversation had come out and she had come round and she was talking about even with her eyes closed. And I think some comment must have been made, although they didn't say anything about her dying. It was obvious that she was on the way out. But she made reference to the fact that she had seen her two boys, me and my, my older brother, get on in life, get married and get families of their own and get settled in life. And she said, what more? And she said this seemingly, what more could a mum ask for? That surely, as a parent, and I appreciate we're not all parents this morning, but even if you're not a parent, I'm sure you can feel for a parent. That's really what you want in life, isn't it? To see your children grow up to see your children settle in life, to see your children find a purpose in life, to see your children find a goal in life, to a partner in life, and in turn, God willing, to have children of their own. We rejoice with James and Carolyn this morning. Fiona had a section this week, and little Luke has been born. And those of us who received the messages from James will know he's certainly going to be a doting grandfather. But that's what you long for. Now, I know this morning, for a whole host of different reasons, that's not the case for some of us. But that actually makes the point, the grief and the sorrow about when that doesn't happen, shows that's against the flow of how things should be. Well, you see, my friends, for the spiritual child who's growing up in Christ, there's a future. We had a social worker into church one of the, just a few weeks ago, came in, sat for one of the wee devotionals, man, living in his late 50s, 60s. Christian man, coming from the south side of Glasgow. It's not bad. So 
pressurized. They don't even have room in the office. And he has to go and find somewhere to do his work. And because he doesn't want to go somewhere, he's over the Rutherglen Way. He doesn't want to go over that way. He's sat in a cafe because maybe one of his clients might see him there. And then he comes over to Uddingston and goes to the chapter house. But he came in and the poor man is just worn down. Why? Because after COVID, and we'll not go into all the things to do with that, but after COVID, he's dealing with children and families and young people in schools who just don't see the point for anything. Paul makes it clear that for believer we have a great point. Chapter 2 of Ephesians. And these words in verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus. To do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. The calling of the Christian, the person who has come to faith in Jesus Christ, is that we are to become useful to God. The God who, in verse 14 of chapter 3, he reminds us, is our creator father. Verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. We are his creation. And it's good to remind ourselves of that. We are not the creator. He is. We are accountable and responsible to him. And as our creator, he has prepared works for us to do. He's also our Lord. We've already made reference to the fact that he is the one who has been exalted back in chapter 1 and verse 21. Christ who has been raised from the dead and seated at the right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked not only in the present age but also in the one to come. Jesus is the boss. He's the Lord. He's the exalted one. But if we're going to do these good works, if we're going to know what God's calling us to do, use our lives for, then we need the help and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's His help that will enable us to grow. And so, verse 22 of chapter 2, when Paul talks about the church being built, he says, and in Him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. And again in verses we've read earlier, in verse 16 of chapter 3, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Later on he warns us, verse 30 of chapter 4, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Then he tells us in verse chapter 5 and verse, verse 18, do not get drunken wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. How do we know the mind of Christ? How do we understand how we should use our lives? How do we understand how we're supposed to make decisions? How do we know and have the wisdom of Christ to deal with some very complex situations in our work or within our families of how to bring up our children? 
in the fear and admiration of the Lord. How can we do that? We can only do that as we open ourselves to the Spirit of God, who takes from Jesus and makes him known to us. And so we are to understand the life of faith as a life of works. There's no retirement from being a Christian. You may retire from your employment, but there's no retirement from being a Christian. It's lifelong learning, and it's a full-time job till the day we go to glory. And if you feel, as I often do, maybe that's the very time you need to stop and say, come, O love divine, fill thou the soul of mine with thine own ardor glory. It is, of course, challenging, isn't it, when your children grow up or when you see children grow up and then have children of their own. I'll not be the first grandparent who will think, well, I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> and the first grandparents also had to learn to, well, I'm not so bad. I can say that Elizabeth's no sinner. She's worse than me. And it's not because Colin and Emma are not doing things well, they are. But we all have our differences. Of course we do. But the point is, growth. Again, we come back to this theme. Take time later on. It's this afternoon. Make it, it's the Lord's Day. Take time this afternoon to sit and read through Paul's letter to Ephesians as a letter. Because through it all is this growing, this maturing. Let me read another bit to you. Ephesians 4 and verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people on their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, guess what? It grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It's amazing to see growth. I'm even that. I haven't got my phone. I think I left my phone here. I have to be honest with you. This is definitely a doting. Guess what the picture is? You'll not be able to see it, but guess what the picture even my phone is now? I remember Isabel saying, oh, what does it feel to be a grandfather? And I was very kind of, oh, I'll be fine, don't you? And you said, I just you wait. Well, there we are, you see. <laughs> growth. Would we not be worried if there wasn't growth and development? And if that applies to a child or to a human being, it applies to the church. And when I'm talking about growth, you know what I'm saying here? I'm not talking about nestle more, but lovely to see more people. But this growing, this maturing. We don't have time now. Time has gone, but reading on from there, the whole center section of this letter is that, verse 17 of chapter 4, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That describes Britain 2022, by the way. 
That describes Britain in the West in 2022. That, however, Paul says, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made you in the attitude of your minds and to put on the you self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then he goes on in a whole various ways in how we talk and how we think in our sexual understanding, the whole host of ways he tells us, and again, Chapter 5, verse 1, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, Jesus, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The calling for costly discipleship. That's why we're praying for this week and for Graham and Karen and the team. That's why we're praying for these 90 to 100 young people at Lendrick Muir this weekend as they hear the call of discipleship. That's why we pray for that lad that I know don't know at all, but his father in heaven knows him, who was tremendously brought to faith back in the summer at an event at Lendrick Muir. We went back to school. He got the cold shoulder from many, maybe not all, but from many of his friends. You become a religious nut you know what's all this nonsense about God and all this impact and how you understand you're homophobic and all these insults and all the rest of it and he's come seeking Christian fellowship because he knows as Paul tells us that the truth is in Jesus and so therefore Remember that wee word in Romans 12, and verse 1, therefore, it's all connected together. <laughs> I do try. <laughs> it's all connected together. Therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. And that's why as we draw to our close, Paul tells us in verse 18 of chapter 4, Six, and pray in the Spirit at all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And pray also for me, Paul tells us, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. We need to pray for that young man, for those young people living in a society which is just as Paul told us, spoke about back in chapter 4, darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God and futile in their thinking. I don't apologize online for saying that is the West in Britain today. Without Christ, just look at the mess of our politics and the kind of leaders that were being led by. If that's not futility in their thinking and darkened in their understanding, then what in God's name is? But God's people, growing up in him, inheritors to the kingdom, part of the biggest project, as I said last Sunday, that the universe, not just this world, this little planet, but the universe has ever seen that Christ will have his church. 
this bride, this body. That's our calling. That's our destiny. And that's where, if you're a believer, you belong. Let's live up to our citizenship of the kingdom and fulfill our calling as members of his body.